I'm Jen. And I'm Jane. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awakairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Yay! Can you believe it? End of the book. I know. I have a lot of feelings. So many feelings. It has been a journey. This book is so good, though. And I, I mean, Rainbow tweeted the other week, I guess. I can't believe I was even on Twitter. It's been like five years since I've logged into Twitter. But she tweeted the <laughs> other week that Wayward Sun people are her favorite kind of people. And I was like, it's us! But it's true. It's a hard book in a lot of ways, but it's also so beautiful. And it's sad, but there's... Like, it feels like real growth. It's painful in the way that real growth is. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I do think, like, it hurts, but you kind of have to. You have to hurt for it to progress, yeah. you know, because there's just so much they haven't dealt with. Yeah, they're all traumatized babies who need hugs and naps and, like, food. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, anyway, on that note, what did you, what sparked <laughs> joy for you this week? Well, uh, we had two whole sunny days, so I painted my porch. I have got yay all of the first coats on, and I'm going to have to just wait because we have like eight days of rain forecast. But it is now green and white and brown, and it looks really good, I think. I'm loving the colors that we picked, and I'm glad that I waited to pick them because the ones we had picked out before I think would have been okay, but not great. These are really great. Yay. So... I just feel really happy that I got so much done. And I listened to all of the Sense and Sensibility audiobook while I was doing it, which was a lot of audiobook, but it was also very good. Um, what sparked joy for you this week? Well, I went for a walk with my mates Meredith and Mike. And I haven't mm. we haven't spent time together as a trio in literally forever. So it felt so nice for us to just go out, do yeah. our little walk thing, get back together, you know chat about everything it was just lovely it was just honestly it's just a lovely day so just getting out in nature always a good time especially this I'm weekend so where everything just happened so yeah mm. and yes mike's been doing his tennis instead of trivia right so you haven't had him at trivia yeah. night for a while so no we haven't been to trivia for ages not this no. year i don't think not at all but you are the reigning champions I know, and I doubt we'll go back there now because um, my mate Meredith's got a new job, so she'll be back in town. So we'll probably quiz in town because we're all literally like a stone's throw away from each other now. Our office. Didn't know she'd moved to a new job. That's great. That's yeah, so nice. it's quite exciting. It's nice to all be together again because now it means we have lunchtime options. Yay, the best! It's so nice yeah. just going and getting lunch with someone. Like, let's get out of here. We got to complain about our respective workplaces. Exactly. Well, this week we're reading chapters 60 through to the prologue through the theme of failure and wrapping up the book, if you can believe it. Do you have a story on the theme of failure? Um, I'm super good at failing things, so I loved taking this on. <laughs> but I'll tell, um, I'll tell the story of how I kind of got my head around like coming to terms with failure. So I have, as most people do, a complicated relationship with failure. As a child, I had undiagnosed ADHD, which I've talked about a lot. And one of the interesting components of ADHD is something called RSD, or rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which means that whenever I mess up, it's always a level 10 catastrophic failure. Mm. 
Um, and it's always a personal failure, right? So on the outside, I was this bright, excitable kid. And on the inside, I was like convinced that I had just tricked everyone into thinking uh. I was a bright kid. I was pretty sure I was actually useless and stupid and bad at everything. And I was the, the example that if I could only just live up to my potential, that was the comment that everybody made about me that I was not ever living up to my potential. So I felt smart, but also stupid. And definitely I felt like I was fooling everybody. And I felt bad that I couldn't just like accept this about myself. Like I didn't want to let go of this idea that people thought I was smart, but I knew deep down that I wasn't. And it was really hard for me to like accept when I wasn't good at stuff. I could never take it on the chin. If I let someone down, it was like I had killed their dog or something. Mm. I had ghosted so many people in my life who were just like slightly disappointed in me rather than like face them because I would have rather torn off my limbs than face them thinking that they thought of me as like less than amazing and capable and wonderful. Um, and that's terrible. I mean, that's especially terrible for them because generally I'm a great friend. So it took me a really long time to be able to accept that my failures weren't some sort of personality defect and that lots of people struggle with living in a society that doesn't allow for neurodivergence. But I think that growing up in America and especially growing up as the first person in my family who was meant to graduate from college, I had a lot of expectation like riding on me. There was a lot riding on my success here. And I had to be ambitious, but I didn't have my own ambition. It was only what other people wanted for me. And so that was always going to be really hard for me because people with ADHD generally need to find their own thing to do. Mm. It's really hard to, to play in other people's sandboxes. We'll never be able to build the things we love in the sandboxes of other people. We have to have our own sandboxes. Mm -hmm. So all of that meant that I was just really bad at failing. And yet I failed all the time. And it was always a catastrophe. But there came a point when I actually got a really useful phrase that helped me to deal with that. And this is when my husband and I moved in together. Neither of us was much of a cook. We were on a budget and we were building our little household and we were like, yeah, okay, we should learn to cook. So we decided we would learn to cook together. And we decided right away that if it sucked, we would get takeout. And that was this phrase, this magical phrase that just kind of made me rethink and reframe what failure meant. Because if I failed at this dish or if he failed at this dish, there was another option. Like it wasn't mm. the end of the world. And it also didn't mean that we stopped trying to cook. It just meant that this one particular thing didn't go well. If it failed, we could still eat because we could just get food from somewhere else. And this was like built into the plan that we would learn to cook together. I mean, we say this a lot. We say this a lot about things that have nothing to do with food. You know, I was painting the porch this week and I was saying to my husband, I'm like, you know, what, if this color isn't great. And, you know, he just said, if it sucks, we'll get takeout. And it's like, right, of course, we can always paint it another color. Like we can't, mm. we don't have to live with our failures. We don't have to go hungry. We don't have to never cook again. It's just, we take the next step forward or we take the next step sideways. Like we go on, but you know, if it sucks, yeah. we get takeout. So this reframing of it, it was kind of a slow and unintentional reframing of it, but it really did help me because I am always going to fail at stuff. I'm always going to have to live with being a constant imaginary disappointment to everyone. I'm always going to be a catastrophe in my mind. This is just part of how my brain works, but like, it's okay because if it sucks, we'll get takeout. I can fail yeah. and there is something else to do. So yes, failure, a thing we all live with, something I super hate, not the end of the world. Yeah, it's definitely important to remember that almost anything, everything you fail at, there will be a fix for it. Like mm. you just fix it. You just move on or you let go. It, it's not the end of the world. There are very like, you know, we are not brain surgeons. We don't work in that environment where one mistake is going to cost someone their life. So yeah. 
it's good to remember that and you know it's something I definitely struggle with as well because I am a perfectionist and often I won't start things because of the fear of failure because it's better not to start than to fail and it's important to remember that failure is not the worst outcome so thank you for sharing that it's just get takeout it's great yeah I'm a bit the same if I don't think I'll succeed at something I'm very quick to make excuses why I shouldn't try or shouldn't learn which is something that I that we have in common or also something that my husband who's usually the most competent person in any room when he's not good at something right away it is like the least interesting thing in the universe yeah. to him and I think it is so funny because I'm like it's just one thing I cannot do lots of things and he's like no 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 you don't understand <laughs> yeah and it's I I've definitely tried to fight against that impulse because I am very much because I'm so good at a lot of things if there's something that I'm not good at I immediately give up I'm like oh well this sucks I'm like Jane, other people have to work at a lot of things. You just need to work at it. Like you can't just be like, ah, too hard. I failed immediately. I made no effort and I failed. Disaster. I think yeah. also Bethany told me a story once um, about a parenting experience she had where it just took her like a year and a half to get her daughter to remember one step in this like morning routine they had and like it was not a fight or an argument or anything it was just she had a reminder every day for a year and a half and so she told me once like sometimes it just takes 500 days to get that message through and I was like that is such a good reminder especially because I have kids who are a lot like me and may need to be told 500 times a day to do Mm. one thing so I have a lot more generosity toward other people failing than I've ever had for myself but yeah, it's um, it's a wild thing to to have to reconcile. I like being good at stuff, man. Yeah, I mean, we're all learning all of the time, right? And this is just part of our journeys is like coming to terms with that, being okay with failure. Because failure is how we learn as well. It has a very useful function. Absolutely. And without failure, we would just be so boring. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants to hear how you're good at everything all the time. So true. Okay. Shall I do our chapter summaries? Yes, please. Great. So in this section, Baz thinks Simon is dead. Simon is trying to rally, but he can't get up, not until he hears Baz is calling for him. Ship gets Agatha and Penny out of the SUV, which is now merrily ablaze, and helps them unglue their mouths. Penny spells swords into plowshares, (laughs) and then they fight for their lives. Simon carries Baz to safety. Ship suggests they steal one of the now-dead vampire's cars to get away, and they all agree that's an excellent plan. They get somewhere with magic and heal each other. Then once in San Diego, Agatha agrees to come home temporarily. Mm-hmm. Simon and Baz have a moment by the ocean. Ship tells Penny that he's uh, he's cursed. Uh-oh. And she bullies him into coming back to the UK so she can fix him, of course. And not a moment too soon because it turns out that Watford is in trouble. Dun-dun-dun. Ends mm. on a cliffhanger. We love it. Yes. And I don't think Watford's in that much trouble. So, like, we can all chill a little bit. It's mildly disconcerted. That's, how, that's the level of trouble that Watford's in. <laughs> How did you oh. feel about the chapters? I want to hear how you felt. Give me all of your emotions. I just that the, the chapter that opens the section, chapter 60, which is the one where Baz thinks Simon is dead, is just such a gut punch. Like it honestly yep. is just rips your heart out. I mean, my heart's been ripped out this whole book, but this just like kicks it across the room merrily. Yeah. It's just so hard to see Baz, one, thinking that he's lost this really important person to him but also sort of like his tether to humanity in a lot of ways like we see the way that he reacts which is just to lean into this base feral part of himself that he has been denying for so long but as soon as he thinks simon is out of the picture he's like well there's nothing left of me right everything i am is already gone but also just to see him 
recognize that failure of communication, like how he's never been able to communicate properly to reach through to Simon. Yeah. And he acknowledges that, which I think is so huge. He's like, I've never told him that I love him in a way that sticks. He could understand in a way that he believed that he could hold on to. Which is so important. Which is so hard. Yeah. And he's he's absolutely right that he's never... And he still isn't able to do it at the end. That's what really kills me, right? So they're sitting on the beach and he's like, I'm waiting for him to get it or to tell me that I passed the test. And I'm like, no, you have to say it. You still have to say it. You have to say it very clearly. And I think, yeah, that's definitely a failure, I think. Like, Baz realizes his failure to communicate with Simon. But it's also Simon's failure to communicate with Baz because he's yet again trying to break up with him on the beach. And he just can't do it properly. And, like, Baz says, you know... On page 353, everything Simon is saying is already the wrong thing. This is the wrong conversation. And then he says, you know, Simon says to him, why can't you just you'd be, admit you'd be happier here? Which I think is a failure on his part to appreciate what this trip has cost Baz. And he yeah. did recognize it because earlier in the book, he said it's like America's taking bites out of Baz, taking a swing at him every chance he gets. So he recognized yeah. that Baz was having a really tough time. But then they went to Vegas and suddenly Simon trusts, he stopped trusting anything that he was seeing. He stopped, yeah, I guess, believing Baz in a lot of ways because he's in his head written a story that makes more sense. Like, of course, Baz is going to want to stay, right? Yeah. Well, it's hard when you see someone that you love who's always had to hide themselves suddenly able to not, like suddenly free, not hiding themselves at all. I think there's a bit of love in that and... But it is, yeah, it's definitely a failure to, like, really take in the whole of it. But but there's this there's this really compelling argument that, like, Simon fails to value himself in this discussion. Mm. He doesn't value his own worth to Baz. And he's trying to do the noble thing because he is so scared of, of Baz figuring it out on his own. He wants to hasten the demise of their relationship so that it can happen sooner so he can get it over with and be his miserable normal self, so to speak. Well, yeah, because he feels like a failure on every every level, like even as a mage, but as a hero, as someone who always saves the day. Like he says it on the beach, right? I failed every test. I fell. I fell short. And only someone else's spell got me back on my feet and breathing again. But also they can't heal themselves, can they? They were all helping each other. They were all spelling each other better. Like, And fundamentally, Simon does save Baz. It's not magic. Like Mm. magic fails to save Baz. Like the spell stutters. He doesn't get to cast the spell. And it's Simon who flies in and rescues him. So Simon is the hero, but he just fails to see it. He fails to recognize his worth outside of being the mage's heir, like outside of being the chosen one in a magical sense. Like he's still a superhero, but he... He's basically Hawkeye. Like you're just a normal dude in the Avengers. Like everyone else has superpowers, but you still have value. Hawkeye's my favorite. Let's be real though. He's the best because he doesn't have any backups. Like he is he's just one guy out there with a bow and arrow. Like and he yeah. Constantly gets beaten up and it's great. I love him. He's great. I thought that that show was amazing as well. I don't watch a lot of Marvel stuff, but I did think that the Hawkeye show was well worth watching. It was good because it was also like a Christmas movie in the form of a show. Yes. And they went LARPing. So good. Love it. Mm. Oh, um, I wonder if there's like, I love that we talked about Simon feeling like he failed as a mage, but like, I think that that failure in himself, he's thinking that he has to excommunicate himself now. And that's yeah. a really interesting premise that like he can't, he can't 
do anything, but he finally comes up with a solution he feels good about, which is really interesting. So he, he says on page 351, I think I'd rather get a job, earn something for myself, pay my own rent. It feels good to think about. It feels like I'm crying. It feels awful, but it feels clean. So he's finally got a direction. Like this is the one thing he feels like he can do is like go and live as a normal. So even though he's failed at like becoming, you know, being the best chosen one and having magic, he's like, well, I can just go and be a person then. Just kind of good right it's like the first time that he's actually sort of gone wait i can do something for myself yeah he's changed the expectations a bit i do also think it's a failure on this part of the world of mages right that Mm. this person or any person who doesn't feel like they have enough magic you know the expectation of what it means to be a mage isn't met so they feel like they can't be part of the world and that's a real failure of the world to be inclusive and find space for those people and we'll definitely have to dive into that a bit more next book because that comes up a lot. Mm. The um, the magical caste system is just gross. awful. Yeah, super <laughs> gross. Super gross. That's yeah. I mean, I can't say that the American system of like American exceptionalism in their mages is any better, and it does feel like American exceptionalism. Like I can do it myself. There's no cohesive group, but at least you're not constantly judged by others for how much you are or aren't magic and i yeah i think that failure of the world of mages just reminds me of like in this section how we see the failure of magic as well you know like yeah it's not there it's a dead spot it's like stuttering half baz's spells fail so he casts twice as many the spell doesn't catch at the end and that nearly leads to Mm -hmm. him being set ablaze and simon rescues him you know Penny thinks that she can, there's the expectation that she can fix everything with magic. And even Shep, yeah. right, despite his curse, she just still tries to fix him with magic. But again, the magic fails. Yeah, it's interesting. Something I wanted to bring up was on page 327, when Baz says, there wasn't a day I believed we'd both live through it. Through what, through what, through what? It's like they've failed to I don't know, serve out their fates or something. He's not sad about it, but also this is when he thinks that Simon is dead. So he's like, right, we didn't fail. One of us has died. So there's this like idea of a prophecy fulfilled, but is it a prophecy or is it a fear? Or is it like, is it actually what's meant to happen? I thought it was an expectation. Yeah. It's just Baz always expected for it to end in flames, right? He says that multiple times. He didn't ever expect that they would both live. Like either Simon would have had to kill him. Or Mm. Simon would just die through his foolhardiness, basically. So in a way, Baz expects everything would go terribly wrong with Simon. And this is just the conclusion of that. The same way that Simon expected to die in the heat of battle, right? Like he expected to die saving the day. My job is getting up. My job is going down. Yeah. He's like, I'll take another one with me. I'll avenge agatha and penny and oh my gosh baz baz is baz baz you know like that's what rallies him is hearing baz that's what makes him get up is hearing baz call for him which like they don't even acknowledge how much they need each other it just and you know what else like this was tangential because it's not related to failure or expectation but the fact that simon took baz's mum's scarf from the hotel and just had it in his pocket the whole time this is after they've had a fight about it like he's already thinking he's lost baz but he cannot bear to not have this piece of baz with him it's the same (sighs) as when he had that handkerchief and carry on 
Yep. And it'll be, I think we'll see that in any way the wind blows as well. And the fact that Baz actively dresses him. Like he mm-hmm. needs to have this physical connection. And the symbolism yeah. of Baz taking that scarf and it going through his fingers, like, you know, he's pulling oh. it away. It's like Simon is letting go. He's saying, okay, I've made this plan. I'm going to live as a normal. Yeah. That means I have to give up Baz. Baz is not picking up what he's put, putting down. He's not seeing mm. the metaphor in this. I know. Simon's trying so hard to give him, like, an easy way out. And, look, Simon's not wrong about some of this. He's got he's got a compelling argument, right? Like, they don't know enough about what it means to be a vampire. The only thing that mages know is how to kill vampires. And he's thinking about this in terms of, like, you know, Baz, you have this entire history or like you know it's even a biological necessity that you should be talking to these people because they will teach you things that we cannot learn on our own and that's hugely important but Baz is like no forget that I'm not going to do it I don't want to be with those people but you know Simon is just trying to open that door for him so he doesn't have to feel betrayed by it maybe or also so that he doesn't have to like make that decision himself I think yeah I think there's something in the fact that Baz sort of had this failure of holding onto his humanity. Like when he lost Simon, he sort of mm. lost his sense of self in a lot of ways because he says, you know, page 333, yeah. everything I am is already gone. He leans into this vampirism, this expectation of what it is to be a vampire. He turns into this like ferocious killing machine, really using his senses in a way that he hasn't previously. Like, you know, he's ripping off jaws and yeah. has bits of braid and stuck to him. And he, he leans into this expectation that he'll just regenerate, you know, things will just yeah. grow back and that's what happens. And I think having had that failure, he's realized actually this part of me that I was so scared of, I don't really care about that anymore. Like it is what I am, but it's not yeah. all of who I am. And he even says that to Lamb, right? Like I couldn't live as a mage in your tower either. So he's chosen mm. which world he wants to be in. And that is a world with his friends, with Simon with his family, which yeah. yes, maybe he'll never be able to fully be his vampire self, but he doesn't really care about that. Like he's sort of come to peace with who he is in a lot of ways through this journey. He wouldn't be able to be his mage self as a vampire either. Yeah. And the, the mage bit is so important to him because that's the bit that he really connects to his family, to his mum. He's so proud mm, of that heritage. Mm-hmm. It's the community he grew up in. So, yeah, I think for Simon to then be like, of course you'll want to live with the vampires. It's actually quite, it must be quite jarring for Baz in a lot of ways. Because he's like, no, I've I've dealt with that now. I've moved on. Yeah. And he's said so many times, like, I don't want to be, like, he never even admits to being a vampire ever. He's just like, oh, let's not talk about it. Mm. It's something he just is in, like, deep denial about. I think it's because Baz has had an expectation of what it is to be a vampire, what that means. Coming to America, there's been a lot of subversions of expectations for all of them. And the Mm. big one for him is how vampires can live. Like, they can drink blood without killing people. They're not all horrible killing murder monsters, you know? Like, he suddenly realized that this part of him isn't innately monstrous, which he's never really considered before, Mm. which makes it easier for him to, like, make peace with it in a way that I don't think he has previously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, and there's some discussions to be had around, like, what it means to abstain from drinking human blood versus, like, what about consent versus taking... Like, I mean, there are discussions about this, but it's really hard to tease this out because it could go so many ways. Like, you could parallel this with so many different things. I wonder what Baz would be like in 100 years, you know? Like, that's where I 
that's kind of what I wonder. I wonder if he would have relaxed or if he would be even more strident about like his, I do not, I didn't even lick my lips, right? Like, Mm. I do wonder what will happen with him and what will happen with Simon. Because I think Simon is just very ambivalent about the whole thing. He's just like, okay, whatever, whatever it takes. Like, you got to eat, dude. I just want to see. Yeah, I think Baz feels like he's going to fail at being a human if he engages in the, like, certain parts of vampirism. And I wonder if that's not a big fear of his, that he will, like, stray so far from being who he is that he won't be able to come back to it. It's good, though, because I think it shows that he is more comfortable in who he is. Yeah. He's, he's got more of an idea, I think, at the end of this book than he did at the start of who he is, what his values are, who he wants to be yeah. on his own terms, yeah. not on other people's expectations of who he should be. Yeah. Now that he knows that these things are possible, he's able to say, but I still don't want to be that person, which is kind mm. of great. But also, he really needs to talk to another vampire who's not going to be terrible. Like, honestly, <laughs> he's like a mentor. Like, a- I feel like the vampires really fail on both sides here. Mm. Like, they don't really deliver on any of their promises or execute their plans. They're all just a bit of a shambles. They're like, bad at it. Lamb's crew's not really, yeah, they're not taking it seriously. They're sort of wandering about. And then, like, when the fight goes in, they're all in. And then they're running away at the end when they realize they're mages. It's mm. like, it's a sh- complete disaster i love it i love that it's agatha and penny holding hands looking like something out of a stephen king novel that like gets the job done here for that visual just made me laugh that really really reminded me of um adam and ronan and how they're described as horror movie twins Mm. right and blue lily lily blue yes add another tiny failure where um after shep has gotten them out of the the mercedes and um, Penny's like, here, use your knife, open up, open up the glued shut mouths. And he says, I try to keep my hand steady. I try to Im- ignore the blood. And I thought that was an implicit failure that he wasn't able to keep his hand very steady and he couldn't really ignore the blood. And I just wanted to like, oh, Shep, you did try. I mean, that was always going to be a bleedy mess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Eesh. Um, I also saw another failure for poor Ginger because she views her time in the desert as a failure, right? She didn't get to level up. She didn't get to, like, further things with Josh. He doesn't call her back. (laughs) He's never calling anyone back, though, so that's not really her fault. (laughs) He even failed at, um, you know, biting Shep, but Ginger escaped and she was so lucky and she's never going to have any idea of how lucky she was. I did love that Penny was like, I can zap her brain. You You want me to? I can... Got the gem right here. Just little memory charm Agatha's like no stop it quit using magic all the time I thought that was also that section was also an interesting um expectation of behavior so they, they sort of still have this expectation of how they will behave mm. and then that's subverted because there's like you know they know there's a lab in the desert but it's on page 346 it's telling that not one of us suggested we go and find it not even mm. Simon they're all like nah we're done we're done we're not no no more <laughs> yeah fair enough I mean to be fair they are all retired this is an unexpected thing but Agatha wasn't really in trouble and then she really was you know Mm. like it was just sheer dumb luck that they were there at the time that they were I am glad that they're retired I'm glad they didn't go looking for any more trouble the other expectation I have is that everyone just expects Simon to be amazing in a fight because he Mm. is amazing in a fight like even though he has no magic like Baz is like unarmed untrained vampires aren't much of a match for Simon with a blade any blade will do like he just yeah 
He's so proud of his boyfriend. He's so, like, look at him go with his plowshares. <laughs> he's like, yes, get him. That's so cute. And then he's like, Simon sweeps him away and he says, I hold on to dear life. Like, yes. This idea of Simon being Yes. Life. I actually, I think I picked that from my in-depth because I was so struck by the fact oh, that amazing. it was hold on to dear life, not hold on for dear life. Because the phrase is, yeah. I hold on for dear life, but he yeah. holds on to dear life, which I just love. And like this link between Simon yeah Simon being life for Baz and we just saw that right like when he thought Simon was dead he was done like he yeah. was giving he was up like, which is unhealthy I'll just yeah. say in a relationship but also I kind of love it I love it too and they're 20 so like I get that like when you're 20 and you're in this like all-consuming everything is about the other person kind of relationship and you've all been traumatized repeatedly for years like yeah you're not gonna have healthy coping mechanisms we get that it's fine yeah, the trauma oh. of these children that we see so clearly. Like, Ship literally has to, like, snap yeah. his Hello. fingers, clap his hands in front Can of them. Can we go? You guys ready? And Baz. Like, Simon won't let go of Baz, which to me was such a clear callback to carry yeah. on. Because at the end of that, he says, I don't have anything to... I don't have to do anything but hold on to Baz. I have to do yeah. that. And he's doing that again. He's just holding on to him. He won't let go. My mm. heart. Mm. I love that Baz uses a family spell to heal Penny. Of course he does. Of course, like, she doesn't expect it, but, like, of course she's family to him. What else would she be after all of the, like, trauma and friendship and time and the fact that they have both been looking after Simon for a year? Like, of course. Of course he uses a family spell. They're family now. It's fine. But it was so cute. What a great family spell, too. Yeah. I actually also just love how that Lamb is just so tired of everything. <laughs> like, when he's... You know, he's standing there and he pulls that vampire off Baz on page 333 and he's just like, lamb sighs and pulls him off. I guess we're doing this. <laughs> like, he's just like, oh. But I love the description that, like, lamb fights like he's stayed alive for 300 years. That's a fantastic way to put it because I think that shows you that he's not just this, like, fancy boy. He can actually fight as yeah. what he needs to, which is great. He does say something on page 336 when he's talking to Baz and he wants him to run away with him, mm. right? And he says, blood will out. Which really reminded me of Aunt Marge in Prisoner of Azkaban. Because yes. she says the that when she's talking out. about yeah. Lily. Yeah, That has to be and, like, from somewhere. Isn't that a Shakespeare line? Well, I don't know. I'm just thinking of Macbeth, but that's different. <laughs> different context of blood, not outing. Everything comes from Shakespeare. Willie Shakes did it all. Hmm. It also cracks me up when Simon on page 334 is just like, I'm just warming up to avenging their deaths when Penelope and Agatha themselves walk out of the flames. He's just like, oh, not dead. Oh, well, guess I'll keep yes. fighting. Yeah, he's like, cool. Okay, I can keep going, though. So he just keeps going. He's just so good at fighting. And I love that he's so good at fighting. And the expectation that he can hold his own. Like, people don't have to cover him because he's so good at fighting. But it does make me a bit sad that he's had to work so hard to get that way. Like... I don't feel like any 20-year-old should have to work so hard to survive. And there's this bit where he's, like, thinking about all of the ways, all of the things he's had to kill, all of the people he's had to save. He's like, I plucked cravens out of the air. Like, I had to rescue Agatha from the bottom of a well. Like, I killed a dragon by accident. Like, there's so many goblins. I He's just talking about this, like, list of all of the things, all the ways he's had to survive. And I'm like, you shouldn't have had to do that. No one mm. should have made you do that. Like, it's terrible that he had to do that. It really annoys me, though, that he can't see how that makes him valuable, though. Like, that he doesn't view this this ability to fight, this ability to survive as valuable. Like, he's just like, oh, well, I don't have magic, so therefore I'm a waste of time. And it's 
So not true. No. Really frustrates me. I feel like you should be teaching other mages how to fight without using magic because as many dead spots as they have in Britain, he should be like, okay, so here's what happens if you get caught in a dead spot. It's a mm. job right there. It could still be part of the world of mages without having to be magic, but mages are so snobby. It's so hard to get a foot in the door if you don't have magic, if you don't speak. It's just a frustrating system. It also really struck me how they just coat him in spells, like, constantly. Mm -hmm. Like, they're constantly casting on him in this section and, like, healing him and stuff. And how that, we'll see that subverted in any way the wind yeah. blows and, like, what that means as well. Because he's already pushed back against it once at the beginning when he said to Penny, like, I'll ask for your magic if I want your magic. And so, like, now they've, they're a bit better about sort of checking in with him. But they do get in the habit of just being like, oh, spell, 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 spell. I find it really telling that he just slept the whole way and they're like, we think he had internal injuries. Like, he was really badly hurt. They were all really badly hurt. Oh. I mean, yeah, he was shot full of holes. It's um, pretty much on death's door there. Yeah. My little guy. My little Blorbo. Other than all the feelings, I think. The only other thing I had for expectation was um, Shep being curious all of the time, you know. You can't, you, you can't, you can't say magic. It's not like spare change. He was just, you know, and then Penny's like, oh, so annoying. But then when he tells her that he's cursed and she sees it and she's really interested. I love that the expectation of the curiosity has like shifted. And now she's the one who's like, nope, you're coming with me. There's no arguments. You've got to do this. I loved that. I thought that was a great subversion because he did expect the whole time to just be like dropped off or destroyed or forgotten. So the fact that he then gets to go in, that Baz like holds the door open for him, and then Penny's like, "No, you can't, you can't go back to Vegas and get your truck. That's a dumb idea. You're coming to London with me." I love that. I love that his concern is like, "But I'm pay I'm parked in short term parking." Yeah, that's a serious <laughs> amount of money. Forty three dollars a night. Heck, I would not want to pay that. Ooh, <laughs> it's okay. Just take Penny. She'll spell it away for you. <laughs> she, she. Oh, she's so bad at this. She's just very um, illegal with her money. But I think that was all I had for expectation and failure. How about you? Yeah, no, that was all mine as well. My tangential. Do you have any tangential that you want to mention? I do. I have a few. Um, on page 329, when Simon says, Can I bleed out through appendages that didn't originally come through? from my body i wanted to say that yes because placental abruption is a thing and placentas don't come with your body the baby creates them and that's how a lot of women die so i was like yes of course you can bleed out you might have grown it later and you can bleed out but that was the first thing i thought of i was like oh his wings are like a placenta which is probably not actually what they're like but um simon to answer your question that you did not ask me a reader of this book yes <laughs> i already mentioned how i loved penny and agatha fighting together holding hands and using their hands as flamethrowers. That was such a great visual. I want someone to paint that for me. Um, and also I love the bit where Shep's like, right, so Baz looks like he's been in a bloodbath. So he goes to Target and gets him some clothes. And he says he comes out of the bathroom looking pale and affordable. <laughs> I know. And like Baz is so salty like about it. Cheap, and has like jeans. <laughs> like, someone bought you clothes, man. Be thankful that you're not wearing like, I don't know, Lestat's evening wear or something. Interesting that Baz also doesn't let anyone heal him. He's like, I just need to drink. Like, the little sort itself out. Because he's already had that experience with the yeah. uh, buckshot, right? He knows he'll heal. But he says he does say later, he's like, I don't ever want to test the limits of my body again. I don't want to push myself this far, even if it means I know more about myself. Which I thought was really interesting as a 
as a way of looking at like, I don't want to be pushed this hard again because I don't want to know what I'm capable or not capable of. Like sometimes I think like I could cope with a lot, but like I really don't want to find out what a lot is. Yeah, it's that whole thing about like, do you think you'd be able to kill a person, right? Like if it came to life and death, do you think you'd be able to do it? Like no one wants to be put in that position. Yeah. Um, I was just listening to You're Wrong About with uh, Sarah Marshall and she had Amanda Knox on the show and they were talking about justice like what is justice and it was a it was a fantastic discussion like highly recommended even if you're not a fan of that show but there was something really interesting that sarah marshall said which was anybody who has to kill a person either the circumstances were so extenuating or they're not healthy like that's not a normal thing to be able to do and it was such a break from how we view people in general because i think as a society we're so saturated with like the john wick type movies we're like yes vengeance is fine murder is fine we see it in our entertainment but like if you really stop and think about it that is super messed up it is so messed up that it's like a normal thing um and just even having someone say like yeah if you can do that like if you think it's great that's really messed up and if you've had to do it that's also really messed up it's real interesting reframe of something that I think is a society we just get told is like bad but like oh it happens in stories so shrug interesting mm. yeah worth a listen especially like the whole the whole discussion was great yeah oh uh, yeah I think it was all my tangential did you have an in-depth I do have an in-depth so mine is on page 330 and it is Simon's bit where he is badly hurt and he's trying to find the will to stand back oh, up again Bobby. and keep fighting because that's what he does mm. you know and he can't leave his friends behind so the line is there's no magic here, but that's okay. There's no magic left in me. I'll take one more when I go. When I get up and go down, I'll take at least one more. So theme of expectations, I think, because it's Simon's expectation of himself and the role he seems himself playing, but also failure because he isn't what he used to be. He's lost his mm. magic. And he's also just really hurt here. Like he is at death's door, as yeah. I said previously. He's on his last legs and he's still got this massive push this expectation that yeah. I have to get back up I have to do it one more time I know I talk about it all the mm. time but this reminded me of Lord of the Rings because there's that scene in Fellowship of the Ring when Boromir takes all those arrows right at the end because he's trying to protect Merry and Pippin mm. sort of as you know atonement for pushing Frodo away and trying to take the ring from Frodo but he he keeps getting back up he keeps fighting and it's like really it takes a lot of damage yeah. before he finally goes down right and it also reminded me of Aragorn in the Two Towers when he's half dead, he's fallen off the cliff and he washes up on the shores of the river. And then he rides back to Helm's Deep and he warns them about the coming Urukai army. And then he also just like gets back up. Yeah. He goes on to fight another day and he just keeps getting back up because that is what they do. Getting up again and again and doing what is right, yeah. what is expected, fighting for their loved ones. I think this bit hit me really hard this week because we've been having a lot of chats in the office about depression yeah. and burnout but particularly like just being really really depressed and I think of when I had my breakdown in 2019 and how I just kept getting up every day to do my job mm. despite the fact that I felt like I was dying and I don't know I think in a lot of the ways this book is a metaphor for depression yeah. and how we all deal with trauma in different ways I think this is really a book that when you look at it really has a lot to say about those experiences mm. And this idea that I used to have magic, but I don't anymore, but I'm still going to get up because getting up is what I do. Yeah. 
I guess I just want to remember going forward that you can keep going even when things feel hopeless and even when everything hurts and even when you shouldn't have to. There is strength within you to get back up and to keep fighting one more day, every day, forever. And that's actually a miraculous thing. Hmm. Well said. It is super hard to do that. It is very hard to to choose which of your like where what you're able to put your energy into when you have so little of it yeah and they have all been living in this feeling for a year yeah it's a rough time it's such a rough time it's just a horrible horrible time um what was your in-depth i chose a bit on page 337 that we've already talked about a bit um when baz's spells are failing he's about to be crashed into by a vampire on fire and simon does what is expected of him and swoops in to save him so his spells are all failing but simon saves him as simon expects to do and baz didn't expect it but he's excited for it i guess anyway um (laughs) i want to tease this out a bit because i read it over and over and over and the thing i love about it is that baz isn't holding on for dear life he's holding on to dear life Mm. so the actual quote is then something happens Simon's nose sweeps me out of the way and into the air. He's got me by the waist. His wings are pumping hard. I hold on to dear life. And there's something about how Baz fails to feel alive, but he wants to be alive so badly. And maybe that's part of why he loves Simon so much. Like, Simon is dear life. He is Baz's dear life. And as we spoke about, it's not healthy to have all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Like, he has really put a lot onto Simon. But he holds on so hard to him. And Simon makes it happen, even wounded, even bleeding, even barely able to carry on. Um, and later from Shep's perspective on page 339, Penelope pulls Baz's arm over her shoulder, but Simon won't let go of him. He's got his hand fisted in Baz's bloody shirt. And like Mm. Baz will hold on to dear life and Simon won't let go of him. And that is their entire thing. I'm doing this thing with my hands, but like that is their entire thing. They are in orbit around each other and I love it. And I cannot let go of the thought of them together forever. And it makes my heart happy. But it reminded me of Entangled when she was singing, when will my life begin? Because she's like really stuck, locked Mm. in this tower, super remote. She has no memory of being anyone else, but she's conscious of her life being less than she wants it to be. Like she wants her life. And more than that, her life is not like just a romantic love interest, but finding love and community and family in other ways. And so it's a bit of a sideways nod to Vaz. Like you have this dear life, you're holding on to dear life, but also you have a life as well as the one that you think you don't have. Like he doesn't feel alive. But he is part of a community and he is part of a family and he is part of like a relationship, many relationships. And that's important, too. So I think the way I want to look at it going forward, we're living our lives right now. So we've got to hold on to it. It can be imperfect. It can be flailing. It can be bleeding. It can be messy. But it's what we have. So we need to hang on to it. Yeah, what a great sentiment. Honestly, I do think. Like, not to be twee about it, but a lot of times we just take for granted every day. And, like, it is a miraculous thing mm. to be alive. Even if all I'm doing is going to work and doing all these things, this is my life. And I have to make the most of it. We all have to make the most of the life that we have mm. because it's the only life we get. So You saw some lizards today. What do? I did. Tuatara. Yes. They're caught. They're the cutest. The first ones I've seen in New Zealand. I've never seen them before, so that was exciting. See, that's amazing. What a miracle that you got to see some lizards. Yeah. It's just like little things, you know? I feel like that's... I feel really called to make the most of every day, to find the magic in every day. You know, that's why we do our little what spark joy, right? To remind ourselves, like, even when things are terrible, even when life is hard, and life is often 
Very hard. Yeah. What are you going to do with your one day? Your one miraculous life? What's the quote? Um, what will you do with this one wild and precious life? Mm. Yeah. I think it's okay to just live it. Sometimes you have to just get through the day and sometimes you get the chance, the space to breathe and go, this is great. Even the bits that aren't great, I still have them. And that's pretty magic. Even not, yeah, like even not doing anything with your life, like literally just being like, well, today I got to get up and go and do things. And yes, I went to work and it was boring and horrible, mm. but I got to do it. And that's great. Yeah. Today I stood out in a soccer the- field for an hour watching one kid shivering in a goal and the other one trying his very best to sneak close to the edge of a sheer rock face to scare the living daylights out of me but like like, trying to keep eyes on both kids but it was still like I got to talk to other people other parents and like I had my cup of coffee and the rain was really nice it wasn't actually too cold but like it was an annoying experience but like also good and I don't know life is just Mm. such a mix of everything the mundaneity. Yeah. Yeah. The mundaneity of life, right? There's such beauty in it, though. Well, at least I get to have it, so. Yeah, for sure. That in itself is something. I was talking to my friend, um, another Jen, Jen W., and she was saying <laughs> she'd had lots of plans for her life and for various reasons they didn't work out. And I said, oh, yeah, the plan for me was, like, I would never get married or have kids. I was going to move to New York and be a book editor, and I was going to have two dogs. And I look at that person's life and I'm like, I am so glad. I, I am so glad that is not my life. I mean, my life is probably not as flashy, but like, oh, I am never bored. Not for a second. It's just weird. The plans we make that we don't recognize ourselves in after we've actually gone and lived, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we change yeah. too. Like, that's oh, the thing. Absolutely. We all, we're constantly evolving. So I'll still get my two dogs, but I'm not going to be a book editor. And that doesn't make it a failure, right, Mm. to come back to our theme of failure. Like, that is just you have evolved and your needs and your wants have changed as you have changed. And that doesn't mean that you've disappointed your past self. It just means that Mm. you've moved on. And that's cool, too. Like, sometimes it's good to just let go of those past versions of who we were. Yeah. Like, they served us at the time, but... I love that girl for giving me enough ambition to get out of a place I wouldn't have succeeded in anything I actually wanted to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, who do you want to spotlight for this last, our final character spotlight for our little sections? I am spotlighting Baz. Baz, Baz, oh. forever Baz. Because Sorry. my heart just hurts for him. I just feel like he has been through so much. Like, America has taken bites out of him. He thought he lost the love of his life. He gave into this base instinct of himself. He's come back through it. He's pushing bullets out of his body. Mm. It's just... He's had this horrible time and still he feels like he can't communicate with the one person he really dearly wants to communicate with. And that person just can't meet him on the level he needs to be on it. It's just so heartbreaking. It really just wounds me on a visceral level. And yeah, I'm just going to spotlight him. Oh, I love that. Who would you like to spotlight? Well, I'm going to spotlight Simon because he is the blurbo from my books. My neurodivergent in need of a big squeezy singlet and lots of proprioceptive touch and just needing someone to basically sit him down and be like mate because that's what he needs he needs a mom and I just really want to be like okay here I am I am momming you stop with the nonsense have some food yeah I just I love him and I also I have been there I have felt the way he feels like that not fitting in in one place or the other making the decision to go very quietly and then trying to make it happen so you don't have to 
pull the band-aid off like I get that I really get that so I just wanted to spotlight Simon because he's going through it too and he's trying to do what he feels mm. is best for everybody but it's actually quite cowardly so yeah he needs yeah a hug. I mean yeah he does need a hug and I do really feel for Simon and it's just that classic thing of trying to trying to do what you think other people need you to do and you're like kind of projecting what you think they want from you yeah. and you're like I'll just save you the effort because this is what you need but you know we never know what other people want we only know what they show us and even that is just an interpretation as we've said previously on mm. this podcast mm. you can never be sure that we're even perceiving reality the same yeah. way oh, so for sure. don't save yourself the heartache and don't try and do this yeah just ask and or tell oh gosh <sighs> well shall we shall we wrap this book up yeah book wrap up so we're let's take a few minutes and we can just reflect on our major theme of expectations and talk about what we learned did you have a reflection on the theme of expectation i do okay so i think the text really upsets the expectations that the crew have for themselves like they have spent a Mm. year and a bit out of danger so to speak so they're not really good at fighting the way they used to and baz never really was part of the way that penny and simon fought anyway And it takes a while for them to sort of gel as a team. And it also takes Baz the whole book and thinking Simon is dead to start fighting like a vampire. In a way, this book is about closing the door on who they expect themselves to be and moving forward into the people that they've had no choice but to become. So I think that's where I landed on Mm. that. How about you? Mm. Do you have any reflections? I definitely agree. I think pretty much every expectation every character had was challenged Mm. in this book. Mm -hmm. And it's so wonderful to see that in a text. I think to see how characters can face that kind of challenge while still staying true to themselves and how that actually helps them to discover the core tenants that matter most to them, right? Like what actually at the core of you is most important to you? What makes you who you are? For example, I think Baz's expectation of what it means to be a vampire, right? And how little he knows, but in the end, how little that matters to him because it doesn't define him. I think it's a big lesson for him and one that he needed to learn. And it's also kind of like, need and want you know what we want what we expect of ourselves Mm. is often not what we need to be our best selves and live our best lives and i love that and i'm excited to see where they go from here me too oh so good um who would we like to spotlight for the entire book uh i think i am going to spotlight believe it or not shit (gasps) I think because he is actually the MVP. He's saving them multiple times and just not giving up on them because he is curious. Yes. But also because he knows they need help Mm -hmm. and he can't not help. So I think he's just living that Ted Lasso ethos of being curious and not judgmental. So I thought he decided he deserved a spotlight. Yay. I love him so much. I'm so glad you spotlight Shep. Shep is like the character that I probably the most like. So I love that he gets any love at all. People who love Shep are my kind of people. Who would you like to spotlight? I'm going to spotlight my very favorite mean girl, Agatha. I mean, Mm. she was just trying to get away from magic because she kept getting chased down and tortured. And then she got away from magic and kept getting chased down and tortured. Like, (laughs) the best that she can do now is just kind of embrace the fact that magic is always going to bring her chaos. And it's super annoying, but I'm proud of her for just being like, fine, I am magic. I'll just be who I am. It's fine. Like, it's hard sometimes when you have to just accept this thing about yourself that you super don't want to. But she does. And I'm really proud of her. And also, she's a girl boss (laughs) who can do nonverbal spells. And that is amazing. So she gets amazing points for that. I'm just really proud of her. Yeah, I totally love that. That's great. Um, Oh, hey, are we doing whole book favorite marginalia? Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. 
Okay, so what was your best of for the book? Okay, so mine is a Shep quote because I also love Shep, as discussed. <laughs> but this one really resonated with me. I kept flipping through trying to find my favorite, and this one I kept coming back to. So on page 162, he says, they're going to lose me as soon as they don't need me anymore, and then I'll never know their story. And I loved that Aww. because he wants their story, but he also feels like he has to be needed in order to be included, and that kind of stuck with me a bit. So, yeah. You don't have to be needed in order to be included. You can just be a friend. Sometimes just showing up and being a person who keeps showing up is enough. Um, How about you? What was your favorite whole book, Marginalia? I've just gone back to my fave, my OG, page six. I've loved him through worse. I've loved him hopelessly, hopelessly, so what's a little less hope? Honestly, it just lives in my brain rent-free. And it just kills me because Baz is so resigned to never getting what he wants, never so resigned to not having the life that he wants, thinking that he doesn't deserve good things in a lot of ways. And he's just, he's like, oh, well, this is just my lot in life. And I guess we'll just be miserable forever. Like, no, Bass. No. It can be okay. It can be good even. And it will be. Don't you worry. It's going to be good. We're going to get there. Yes, it will take a while. uh, But we'll get there. You're right. It's not that many books away now. No, not at all. Well, that is it for season nine. Mm. Thank you for reading and listening along with us as we tackled Wayward Sun. Thank you, Rainbow Ralph, for writing Wayward Sun. We are Wayward Sun people, yeah. so I think we're some of your favorites. We absolutely are. And we'll be back next week with a one shot. We're going to watch Legally Blonde, Ooh. directed by Robert Lukitic. Um, An absolute classic. It's the best. We love it. love that movie. Such a great film. And then for season 10, we will be reading Blue Lily Lily Blue by Maggie Stevada, of course, through the overarching theme of connection. Back to Henrietta, back to our Raven boys. It's my favorite of the Raven cycle, so I'm really excited about this one. Amazing. It's going to be good. And thank you so much. This season was amazing. We did it despite so many various hurdles that we both had. What a (laughs) couple of months it's been. 2023 coming in hot. Oh my goodness. Like a plane crash. (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) that's okay well thank you i love you i'm so glad we take the time for this every week it's the absolute bright spot of my week i love you too and it's always an absolute pleasure i just love seeing you love our ritual love sharing this with people as well so it's just great it's the best all right well i'll see you next week and we can talk about l woods attorney at law delightful (laughs) what like it's hard (laughs) exactly all right all right see you soon (laughs) see ya Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 